Chapter Sixteen of the Golden Silence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Golden Silence by Alice Muriel and Charles Norris Williamson chapter sixteen neville had not sent word to josette sobeys that he was coming to see her he wished to make the experiment of a surprise although he insisted that stephen should be with him at the door in the high white wall of the school garden he asked an unveiled crone of a porteress to say merely that two gentlemen had called she'll suspect i'm afraid he muttered to stephen as they waited even if her sister hasn't written that i thought of turning up but she won't have time to invent a valid excuse if she disapproves of the visit in three or four minutes the old woman hobbled back shuffling slippered feet along the tiled path between the gate and the low whitewashed house Mademoiselle requests that ces messieurs would give themselves the pain of walking into the garden. She would descend almost at once. They obeyed, Neville stricken dumb by the thought of his coming happiness. Stephen would have liked to ask a question or two about the school, but he refrained, sure that if Neville were forced into speech he would give random answers. This was being in love, the real thing and Stephen dimly envied his friend, even though Kiard seemed to have small hope of winning the girl. It was far better to love a woman you could never marry than to be obliged to marry one you could never love. He imagined himself waiting to welcome Margot, beautiful Margot, returning from Canada to him. He would have to go to Liverpool, of course. She would be handsomer than ever, probably, and he could picture their meeting seven or eight weeks from now. Would his face wear such an expression as Neville's wore at this moment? He knew well that it would not. She is coming, said Neville under his breath. The door of the schoolhouse was opening, and Neville moved forward as a tall and charming young woman appeared, like a picture in a dark frame. She was slender, with a tiny waist, though her bust was full and her figure had the intensely feminine curves which artists have caused to be associated with women of the latin races her eyes were like those of her elder sister but larger and more brilliant so big and splendid they were that they made the smooth oval of her olive face seem small quantities of heavy black hair rippled away from a forehead which would have been square if the hair had not grown down in a point like a marie stuart cap her chin was pointed with a deep cleft in the middle and the dimples neville had praised flashed suddenly into being as if a ray of sunshine had touched her pale cheeks mon bon ami she exclaimed holding out both hands in token of comradeship and putting an emphasis on her last word she's determined the poor chap shan't forget they're only friends thought stephen wishing that keyard had not insisted upon his presence at this first meeting 
and in a moment he was being introduced to mademoiselle josette zobeys did i surprise you asked neville looking at her as if he could never tear his eyes away though he spoke in an ordinary tone ah i know you want me to say yes she laughed i'd like to tell a white fib to please you but no i'm not quite surprised for my sister wrote that you might come and why what a pity you had this long journey for nothing my kabyle maid mooney has just gone to her home far away in a little village near michelette in la grande kabylia she is to be married to her cousin the chief's son whom she has always loved but there were obstacles till now obstacles can always be overcome broke in neville josette would not understand any hidden meaning it is a great pity about mooney she went on only four days ago she left i gave her the price of the journey for a wedding present she is a good girl and i shall miss her but of course you can write to ask her questions she reads a little french perhaps we shall go ourselves neville answered glancing at stephen's disappointed face for i know miss ray can't be here or you would have said so no she's not here echoed josette looking astonished Janine wrote about the american young lady searching for her sister but she did not say she might visit clemson we hope she would that's all explained neville she left her hotel in algiers in a mysterious way not telling where she meant to go although she assured us she'd be safe and we needn't worry however naturally we do worry but of course i see how it is the dimples were gone and the brightness of josette's eyes was overcast she looked at neville wistfully and a flash of sympathetic understanding enlightened stephen no doubt she was generously solicitous for the fate of victoria ray but there was something different from solicitude in her darkening eyes good she's jealous she thinks neville's heart's been caught in the rebound he told himself but neville remained modestly unconscious miss ray may arrive yet he suggested we'd better stop to-day anyhow on the chance don't you think so stephen and then if there's no news of her when we get back to algiers go on to interview the bride in grand kabylia stephen had not the heart to dispute the wisdom of this decision though he was sure that since victoria was not in clemson now she would never come so you think we've made a long journey for nothing mademoiselle josette said neville but yes so it turns out seeing an old friend doesn't count then oh well that can seem but little in comparison to what you hoped still you can show monsieur knight the sights he may not guess how beautiful they are have you told him there are things here as wonderful as in the alhambra itself things made by the moors who were in granada i've told him about all i care most for in clemson returned neville with that boyish demureness he affected sometimes but i'm not a competent cicerone if you want knight to do justice to the wonders of this place you'll have to be our guide we've got room for several large-sized chaperones in the car 
Do come. Don't say you won't. I feel as if I couldn't stand it. His tone was so desperate that Josette laughed some of her brightness back again. Then I suppose I mustn't refuse, and I should like going, after school hours. Madame de Vaux, who is the bride of the French officer, will join us. I think, for she and I are friends, and besides she has no chance to see things yet. She has been busy settling in her quarters, and I have helped her a little. When can you start? asked Neville, enraptured at the prospect of a few happy hours snatched from fate. Not till five. His face fell. But that's cruel. It would be cruel to my children to desert them sooner. Don't forget I am a Malema. Malema before all. And there will be time for seeing nearly everything. We can go to Sidi Bolmedine, afterwards to the ruins of Montserrat by sunset. Meanwhile, show your friend the things nearby, without me, the old town, with its different quarters for the Jews, the Arabs, and the Negroes. He will like the leather workers and the bakers and the weavers of Hayax. And you will not need me for the Grand Mosque, or for the Mosque of Abul Hassan, where Monsieur Knight will see the most beautiful mirab in all the world. When he has looked at that, he cannot be sorry he has come to Tlemcen, and if he has regrets, Sidi Bomedin will take them away. Has Sidi Bomedin the power to cure all sorrows? Stephen asks, smiling. Indeed, yes. Why, Sidi Bomedin himself is one of the greatest marabouts. You have but to take a pinch of earth from his tomb and make a wish upon it. Only one wish but it is sure to be granted, whatever it may be, if you keep the packet of earth afterwards and wear it near your heart. What a shame you never told me that before. The time I've wasted, exclaimed Neville. But I'll make up for it now. Thank heaven I'm superstitious. They had forgotten Stephen, and laughing into each other's eyes, were perfectly happy for the moment, Stephen was glad, yet he felt vaguely resentful that they could forget the girl for whose sake the journey to Tlemcen had ostensibly been undertaken. They were ready to squander hours in a pretense of sightseeing, hours which might have been spent in getting back to Algiers, and so hastening on the expedition to Grand Kabylia. How selfish people in love could be! And charming as Josette Zobey's was, it seemed strange to Stephen that she should stand for perfection to a man who had seen Victoria Ray. Neville was imploring Josette to lunch with them, chaperoned by Madame de Vaux, and Josette was firmly refusing. Then he begged that they might leave money as a gift for the Malema scholars, and this offer she accepted only regretting that the young men could not be permitted to give the cadeau with their own hands. My girls are so pretty, she said, and it is a picture to see them at their embroidery frames, or the carpet-making, their fingers flying, their eyes always on the colored designs, which are the same as their ancestresses used a century ago, before the industry declined. I love them all, the dear creatures, and they love me, though I am a Rumia and an unbeliever. 
i ought to be happy in their affection helping them to success and now i must run back to my flock or the lambs will be getting into mischief au revoir five o'clock you will find me waiting with madame de Vaux. at luncheon in the bare cool dining-room of the hotel neville was like a man in a dream he sat half smiling not knowing what he ate hardly conscious of the talk and laughter of the french officers at another table just at the last however he roused himself i can't help being happy i see her so seldom and i keep turning over in my mind what new arguments in favour of myself i can bring forward when i propose this afternoon for of course i shall propose if you and the bride will kindly give me the chance i know she won't have me but i always do propose on the principle that much dropping may wear away a stone suppose you break the habit just for once ventured stephen neville looked anxious why do you think the case is hopeless on the contrary but well i can't help feeling it would do more good to show an absorbing interest in miss ray's affairs this time so i have an absorbing interest neville protested remorsefully i don't want you to suppose i mean to neglect them i assure you stephen laughed though a little constrainedly don't apologize my dear fellow miss ray's no more to me than to you except that i happen to make her acquaintance a few days sooner i know neville agreed mildly then after a pause which he earnestly occupied in crumbling bread only i'm head over ears in love with another woman while you're free to think of her or any other girl every minute of the day stephen's face reddened i'm not free he said in a low voice i beg your pardon i hoped you were i still think you ought to be neville spoke quickly and without giving stephen time to reply he hurried on miss ray may arrive here yet or she may have found out about mooney in some other way and have gone to see her in grand Kabylia. who knows if she were merely going there to inquire about her sister why should she have to make a mystery of her movements well it's on the cards that whatever she wanted to do she didn't care to be bothered with our troublesome advice and offers of help our interest was perhaps too pressing mademoiselle Sobez is of that opinion anyhow in regard to you remarked stephen what that angel jealous it's too good to be true but i'll relieve her mind of any such idea if you'll take one more tip from me i'd leave her mind alone for the present why you flinty-hearted reprobate well i'm no authority but all's fair in love and war and sometimes an outsider sees features of the game which the players don't see that's true anyhow neville agreed let's both remember that eh and he got up from the table abruptly as if to keep stephen from answering or asking what he meant they had several empty hours between the time of finishing luncheon and five o'clock when they were to meet mademoiselle Sobez and her chaperone so they took josette's advice and went sightseeing 
Preoccupied as he was, Stephen could not be indifferent to the excursion, for Tlemcen is the shrine of gems in Arab architecture, only equaled to Granada itself. Though he was ignorant still of Eastern lore, that he hardly knew the meaning of the word mirab, the arched recess looking towards Mecca, in the mosque of the lawyer St. Abul Hassan, held him captive for many moments with its beauty. Its ornamentation was like the spread tail of Neville's white peacock, or the spokes of a silver wheel encrusted with an intricate pattern in jewels. Not a mosque in town or outside the gates did they leave unvisited, lest, as Neville said, Josette Sobez should ask embarrassing questions and the last hour of probation they gave to the old town. There, as they stopped to look in the workshops of the weavers and the bakers, or stared at the hands of fat Mazora painted in henna on the doors of Jews and true believers, crowds of ragged boys and girls followed them, laughing and begging as gaily as if begging were a game only this band of children and heavily jeweled girls of morocco or spain with unveiled ivory faces and eyes like suns looked at the englishmen as stephen and neville passed the isolated blue and green houses in front of which the women sat in a bath of sunshine arabs and jews walked by proudly and did not seem to see that there were strangers in their midst when at last it was time to go back to the hotel and motor to the ecole indigene josette was ready plainly dressed in black she introduced her friends to the bride madame de Vaux, a merry young woman blonde by nature and art who laughed always like the children in the arab town she admired knight far more than kiard because she liked tall dark men her own husband being red and stout. Therefore, she would have been delighted to play the tactful chaperone, if Josette had not continually broken in upon her duet with Stephen, ordering them both to look at this or that. The country through which they drove after passing out of the gate in the modern French wall might have been the south of England in midsummer, had it not been peopled by the dignified Arab figures which never lost their strangeness and novelty for Stephen. Here, in the West Country, they glittered in finery like gorgeous birds, sky-blue jacket, scarlet fez and sash, glowing behind a lacework of green branches netted with flowers, where a man hoed his fields or planted his garden. Hung with a tapestry of roses, immense brown walls lay crumbling, ruined gateways and shattered traces of the triple fortifications which defended Tlemcen when the Almohades were in power. By a clear rill of water gushing along the roadside, a group of delicate broken arches marked the tomb of the flying saint, Sidi Abu Ishad el-Tayir, an early rite or Blariot who could swim through the air, and though in his grave a chest of gold was said to be buried, no one, not even the lawless men from over the border, had ever dared dig for the treasure. 
close by under the running water a moor had found a huge lump of silver which must have lain for no one could tell how many years looking like a grey stone under a sheet of glass nevertheless the neighbouring tomb had still remained inviolate for sidi abu el shed el tayir was a much respected saint even more loved than the marabout who sent rain for the gift of a sacrificed fowl or he who cured sore eyes in answer to prayer only sidi bou medine himself was more important and presently because the distance was short though the car had travelled slowly they came to the footpath in the hills which must be ascended on foot to reach the shrine of the powerful saint friend of great sidi abdel el kadir already they could see the minaret of the mosque high above the mean village which clustered round it rising as a flame rises against the windless sky while beneath this shining geralda lay half-ruined houses rejuvenated with whitewash or coats of vivid blue they passed up a narrow street redeemed from sordidness by a domed kuba or two and from the roof balconies of cafe mars arabs looked down on them with large dreamy eyes like clouded stars all the glory and pride of the village was concentrated in the tomb and beautiful mosque of the saint whose name falls sweet on the ear as the music of a summer storm the tingle and boom of rain and thunder coming together sidi bol medine toddling girls with henna-dyed hair and miniature brown men like blowing flower petals in scarlet yellow and blue who had swarmed up the street after the rumis stopped at the portals of the mosque and the sacred tomb but there was a humming in the air like the song of bees which floated rhythmically out from the zoea the school in the mosque where many boys squatted cross-legged before the aged talib who taught the koran bowing swaying towards him droning out the words of the prophet some half asleep nodding against the onyx pillars in the shadow of the mosque it was cool though the crown of the minaret gemmed with priceless tiles from fez blazed in the sun's rays as if it were on fire into this coolness the four strangers passed involuntarily hushing their voices in the portico of decorated walls and hanging honeycombs of stucco whence through great doors of ancient greenish bronze doors said to have arrived miraculously from across the sea they found their way into a courtyard open to the sky where the fountain waved silver plumes over a marble basin two or three dignified arab men bathed their feet in preparation for the afternoon prayer and tired travellers from a distance slept upon mats of woven straw spread on tiles like a pavement of precious stones or dozed in the little cells made for the students who came in the grand old days the sons of islam were reverent yet happy and at home on the threshold of allah's house and stephen began to understand as neville and josette already understood something of the vast influence of the mohammedan religion 
Only Madame de Vaux remained flippant. In the car she had laughed at the women muffled in their haïcs, saying that as the men of Clemson were so tyrannical about hiding female faces, it was strange that they did not veil the hens and the cows. In the shadowy mosque, with its five knaves, she giggled at the yellow babooches out of which her little high-heeled shoes slipped, and threatened to recite a French verse under the delicate arch of the pale blue mirab. But Stephen was impressed with the serene beauty of the Moslem temple, where, between labyrinths of glimmering pillars like young ash-trees in moonlight, across vistas of rainbow-colored rugs like flower-beds, the worshippers looked out at God's blue sky instead of peering through thick stained-glass windows, where the music was the murmur of running water, instead of sounding organ-pipes, and where the winds of heaven bore away the odors of incense before they staled. He wondered whether a place of prayer like this, white-walled, severely simple despite the veil-like adornment of arabesque, did not tend to religious contemplation than a cathedral of Italy or Spain with its blood-stained Christs, its virgins, and its saints. Did this Arab art perhaps more truly express the fervor of faith which needs no extraneous elaborations, because it has no doubts? But presently calling up a vision of the high, dim aisles, the strong yet soaring columns, all the mysterious purity of gothic cathedrals he convinced himself that after all the old monkish architects had the real secret of mystic aspirations in the human heart when josette neville led the way out of the mosque stephen was in the right mood for the tomb of that ineffable saint of islam Jehob ibn hussein el andalusi Sidi Bomedine. He was almost ready to believe in the extraordinary virtue of the earth which had the honor of covering the marabout's remains. It annoyed him that Madame de Volk should laugh at the lowness of the doorway under which they had to stoop, and that she should make fun of the suspended ostrich eggs, the tinseled pictures and mirrors, the glass lusters and ancient lanterns, the spilt candle-wax of many colors, or the old, old flags which covered the walls and the high structure of carved wood which was the saint's last resting place. A grave Arab, who approved their air of respect, gave a pinch of earth each to Stephen and Neville, wrapped in paper, repeating Josette's assurance that their wishes would be granted. It would be necessary, he added, to reflect long before selecting the one desire of the soul which was to be put above all others. But Neville had no hesitation. He wished instantly, and tucked the tiny parcel away in the pocket nearest his heart. And you, monsieur, asked Madame de Vaux, smiling at Stephen, it does not appear easy to choose. Ah, now you have decided. Will you tell me what you wished? I think I mustn't do that. Saints favor those who can keep secrets, said Stephen, teasingly. Yet he made his wish in earnest, 
after turning over several in his mind to ask for his own future happiness in spite of obstacles which would prove the marabout's power was the most intelligent thing to do but somehow the desire clamoring loudest at the moment was for victoria and the rest might go ungranted i wish i may find her safe and happy he said over the pinch of earth before putting it into what josette named his poche de coeur as for me remarked madame de vaux i will not derange any of their moslem saints thank you i have more influential ones of my own who might be annoyed and it is stuffy in this tomb i am sure it is full of microbes let us go and see the ruined palace of the black sultan who josette says founded everything here that was worth founding that there should be a black sultan sounds like a fairy tale and i like fairy tales next to bonbons and new hats so they made their pilgrimage to the third treasure of the hill village and then away to where the crumbling walls of mansurah and that great tower which is one of the noblest moorish relics in all algeria rise out of the flowering plain cherry blossoms fell in scented snow over their heads as the car ran back to tlemcen and out once more through the moorish port de fez past the reservoir built by a king for an arab beauty to sail her boats upon sunset was near and the sky blazed red as if mansurah burned with ten thousand torches the way led through vast blue lakes which were fields of periwinkles and along the roads trotted pink-robed children whose heads were wrapped in kerchiefs of royal purple they led sheep with golden gleaming fleece and at the tombs of marabouts they paused to pray among groups of kneeling figures in long white cloaks and turbans all the atmosphere swam with changing colors such as come and go in the heart of a fire opal very beautiful must have been the city of mansurah named after the murdered sultan el mansur the victorious who built its vast fortifications its mosques and vanishing palaces its caravanserais and baths in the seven years when he was besieging tlemcen and still are its ruins beautiful after more than five centuries of pillage and destruction josette sobeys loved the place and often came to it when her day's work was done therefore she was happy showing it to neville and incidentally to the others the great brown wall pricked with holes like the enormous wasp nest the ruined watch-towers and the soaring honey-coloured minaret with its intricate carvings its marble pillars its tiles and inset enamels iridescent as a brazilian beetle's wing all gleamed with the splendour that was an enchantment in the fire of sunset the scent of aromatic herbs such as arabs love and use to cure their fevers was bitter-sweet in the fall of the dew and the birds cried to each other from hidden nests among the ruins Muslimmen think that the spirit of their dead fly back to visit their own graves or places they have loved in the form of birds said josette looking up at the minaret 
large marguerites with orange centers embroidering her black dress as she stood knee-deep in their waving gold i half believe that these birds among the lovely carvings of the tower are the priests who used to read the koran in the mosque and could not bear to leave it the birds in the walls are the soldiers who defend the city as she spoke there was a flight of wings black against the rose and mauve of the sunset there she exclaimed arabs would call that an omen to see birds flying at sundown has a special meaning for them if a man wanted something he would know that he could get it only by going in the directions the birds take which way are they flying asked stephen all four followed the flight of wings with their eyes they are going southeast said neville End of chapter sixteen